We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indiana, home of Pacers basketball. Miller for three, and he got it. Legends have been born. Miller retreats to the three-point line and hits again. Memories have been made. Caliburn, a deep three for the lead. And baby! Great basketball has been played. Nembhard away. Hits the three and the Wazzaro In 49 states. It's just basketball. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and But this, this is Indiana. And you're listening to Setting the Pace. Let's go! Your go-to Pacers podcast. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. We got paces hooping. Let's talk stats. Hot takes. All fast. New topics. Updates. Three pointers. Fast breaks. We keep scoring. We don't need to stop. New episodes. Weekly drops. This your number one podcast. Hooping every team. We gon' need a mop. Setting like pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Pacer Nation, what is going on? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm Alex Golden. I'm joined today by Eddie Garrison of 1075 The Fan. He's also the producer for your Pacers games with Mark Boyle, Pat Boyle, and Eddie Gills. So, Eddie, thanks so much for joining, man. How are you? I'm doing well, man. It's been a minute since I've been on the pod. Thanks for having me back again. Absolutely. Do you remember the last time we were on here together, what we talked about? Uh, I can't remember. It was a list of some sort, I think. Okay. I, that sounds like something I would do is a list of something. I, I know that I've done like, I think it was BK that I actually did the Thanksgiving stuff with before I had Tony East uh, two years ago to do it. So I didn't do it last year. I didn't do my, uh, you know, who's the ham of the Pacers? Who's the, who's the turkey? Who's the mashed potatoes? Yeah. You know, that's always fun for me. But um, today we're going to do something a lot more fun and a lot more like that, you know, that actually matters. And that's looking at some questions we have for this Pacers team entering the last third of the season. I know everybody wants to call it the last half, but they've already played 52 games. So they've got about, you know, 30 games left. So we're going to look at the, you know, some questions we have. So Eddie, I'll let you kick things off here. What is the first question you have for us? All right. My first question has to do with the guy that I think is the X factor for the Pacers in terms of their aspirations of making it out of the plan and into a playoff spot or staying out of the plan, I should say, and in the playoff hunt and making a run into the postseason. That's Benedict Matherin. Um, with the departure of Buddy Heald, my question surrounding Ben is, does he start settling for more mid-range jump shots or three-pointers? Because the aspect to Buddy Heald that I think people forget or don't talk about enough is the movement without the basketball that Buddy presents allows so much more uh, cutting lanes for Benedict to operate with and get to the basket, get to the rim, and draw contact like he does. So, and I know those two didn't play a lot together, but now that he's completely out of the picture, does Ben start having to settle more for those mid-range jump shots and have to be more of a jump shooter versus the guy who attacks downhill all the time, get to the rim, get to the free throw line type of player? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, if you think about it, 
Ben Matherin really is like the only guy that's like a great scorer off the bench. You know, TJ McConnell can do it in spurts. Jalen Smith can do it in spurts. But like, if you're talking about a guy that's actually going to get you buckets, it's going to be Benedict Matherin. And Buddy Hill had that capability when he was coming off the bench too, right? You know, Buddy Hill not only shot threes, but he could drive to the basket and he could also pass the ball. Like, I understand that Buddy Hill is a flawed player. We know that. But for anybody that just says all Buddy does is shooting is a bad defender, like, no, that's not really who Buddy Hill is. There's a lot more to his game than just that. So he he definitely will be missed. You cannot replace what he did by bringing in a guy like Doug McDermott. Now, could Ben Shepard maybe kind of change things a little bit? We'll see how that plays out. You know, he had a really good game against Toronto, but I just I just feel like at this point, Matherin, I don't really know like what they needed to do because I I still be shocked if he closes games. There could be times when he maybe does, maybe over an Andrew Nimhard. But defensively, you're going to need a guy like Nimhart out there. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see how Ben fits in. But I think they just, I think they just need to score in multiple different ways, and that could be all three levels: layups, mid range, you know, and and the three point line. Because he shot the ball better this year on catch and shoots. We know that the percentages has gone up, but the scoring overall has just been down, and so has the foul rate. So I'm hoping that that's something he can improve upon and and continue to grow, and and maybe use this weekend to kind of use it as like a stepping stone from the confidence that he had winning all these different events uh, on all-star weekend going into the season. Yeah. And I think in the rising stars game, you saw a little bit more of him as a shooter and a creator off the dribble mm-hmm. than I think we have seen as so far this season and certainly through a year and a half. So if he can build off of how he, I know it's just the rising stars exhibition game or games, I should say, but if he can just build off that in terms of his confidence, he actually looked a little more healthy in that game than I thought he had in the last couple of games that prior to the all-star break. So that's kind of like what I need to see from Ben uh, moving forward. Mm-hmm. No, he, he looked really good and he looked like a guy that was actively looking for a shot. And I don't necessarily know if he's allowed to do that on the Pacers under Rick Carlisle. So, you know, it might've just been a totally different thing. Like Jalen Rose was like, yeah, get your MVP vote. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, and Carlisle would have been like, what kind of defense are you playing Ben? You know, even in the rising stars game. So, yeah, that's uh, that that's definitely I think a big thing there. I think Matherin's kind of the X factor a little bit for this team, really, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of how far they can go. But uh, they can only go so far if one man is healthy, and that's Tyrese Halliburton. And that's my first question: is will Tyrese Halliburton ever be one hundred percent healthy for this season? Because that is a big question mark. We know that he still was kind of ramping things back up and playing more extended minutes, and it felt like okay, he's probably about ninety percent back, but. I still just kind of wonder, like, even I think even at All-Star Weekend, they were asking him how his hamstring was feeling after he dunked and different different things like that. And is it just going to be a lingering thing that lasts into the summer? And how does that kind of put the Pacers in terms of, like, where they can get to uh, at their ultimate ceiling this year? Obviously, the the big goal is just to continue to grow with this young core. But I just feel like, is he ever going to get healthy this season? What's your definition of healthy, I guess, is the bigger question. Like 100% healthy. Like, is he going to be skipping around dancing like he has been, or is he constantly going to be dealing with the injury where he has to, like, he can go 90%, but he can't ever get fully to 100%? Because that's my biggest concern is like, okay, we can get him to about 95% healthy for the rest of the year, but he's going to continue to feel pain after every game. And does it end up causing him to miss a game or something like that? I don't know. I just, I want to make sure that he's fully healthy. I don't want to overexert him but i thought he looked pretty springy in the all-star weekend stuff so i'm hoping that he's like going to get to 100 percent. it just the sound the sound of like how guys come back from injury it always feels like from a hamstring injury i should say it always seems like it kind of lingers a little bit yeah i think right now i think the injury that's bothering him more is his lower back than anything else and i thought seeing him do the between the legs off the backboard alley-oop dunk to himself i was like okay i think he's pretty much healthy in terms of the hamstring because you know if you're worried about that hamstring at all you're just laying it in or you're doing a casual dunk I don't think you're doing all that so yeah I think I think he's relatively close in terms of the hamstring Uh, I think the minutes restriction will be fully elevated here probably next week is if I had to guess Uh, I think coming out of the all-star break they'll continue to play him around 30 minutes and then I think he'll start it see it open up a little bit more as the competition gets a little more tough. I know they got a couple tough games here in the middle of at the end of February and the start of March. So 
yeah, I think he's pretty close to 100%. And if you can get him 99%, I think that's even obviously better than 95, 6, or 7. So Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I just think that they need him to be as healthy as he can be for them to do anything, and that's the Pacers. You know, like, they can have a good team, and, and they can be successful in the playoffs, but I think that they only can reach their maximum level of success with him fully healthy. So that's that's my biggest concern. Like, I don't want to see him get hurt or, like, re-injure something by, like, trying to play 36 minutes in a regular season game, trying to get a pivotal win over, like, an Orlando Magic later this year or maybe even, you know, somebody like OKC in March or something like that. Just, like, you know, Shea's playing really tough against him and he's trying to make a play and all of a sudden he just, you know, steps the wrong way and then he re-aggravates that hamstring injury. I just want to make sure that we don't have a – you know, not a slip up, but a, a similar situation to what happened when he came back too soon in Portland and he ends up having to miss some time, you know, but injuries are going to happen. It's part of the game. It's just when it's your best player, your franchise guy, the guy that was the face of the NBA for the past four days, you know, you want to make sure that he's fully healthy just for your team to reach its ultimate level. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you there. Totally agree with you. Are you ready for my question? Let's, let's move on to your second question. Okay, so you mentioned the guy's name already, uh, Ben Shepard. Does he start to become a little bit more of a factor in the rotation? And I know I sent you my list earlier, but I'm going to flip-flop two and no, three. Right. I, think, I think it works better if I pose this question first before I get to my last, the next one. But uh, does Ben Shepard start seeing more routine minutes in the rotation? Because we've heard Carlisle talk about it, whether that's on – the wake-up call with K- KB and Andy or it's after the games or at practice or whatever, he's talked about how Ben Shepard has earned minutes on the floor. And if he continues to earn minutes and just plays with toughness like he did against R.J. Barrett and that went on Toronto in that final possession, and he continues to improve defensively, I think that shot will come around because he was a prolific shooter in college. And in my opinion, you don't, you don't get worse as a shooter, even though you're the competition and it gets better. So I think you just have to get more comfortable gain more confidence in that regard. So I'm curious to see if you start seeing more routine minutes, because I think he provides something um, in a similar way of TJ McConnell at some moments where he gets super into it defensively. And then the crowd feeds off of it. And next thing you know, the entire team, feeds off the crowd. So he's one of those guys that can be like an energizer bunny or a spark plug. So I'm really fascinated to see how he fits in in the final 30-plus games. Yeah, I mean, it's only been a three-game sample size, I believe, now for Doug McDermott. But from what we've seen from Doug, I I feel like Ben should definitely get, uh, you know, the nod over him in terms of, like, what you're looking for. Because with Doug, you get zero defense. And I think if you put Ben as that two, three with Matherin and McConnell in the backcourt, like you can make the case that Ben Shepard's the best defender in the second unit, if that's the case. And I know that's crazy to say, but like you're talking about a rookie that, like you mentioned, that RJ Bear play was so incredible because he absorbed contact three different times in that one possession with the game in the balance and didn't foul. And that's really hard to do as a rookie. And I think that Nobody expected that from him. I I think the shooting has been down this year, and that's what he was known for when he was in the draft. So can that shooting come up a little bit and be average with that defense? Like, yeah, that's really good. I think he is quicker than McDermott. He's going to be more athletic than McDermott. So, like, I just think he fits the timeline a little bit more, and this is a great opportunity to get him that playing time to really mesh and see what he can bring. So I I definitely feel like he raises their floor and, and probably even their ceiling a little bit. If he's out there over a guy like McDermott, I understand why you want to play Doug just because of the floor spacing. It allows maybe some more space for Matherin. When you have a Jalen Smith and an Obi Top and, and a McDermott that can all shoot the ball well, only guy out there that really can is TJ McConnell. So, mm-hmm. and we know the synergy that McConnell and Matherin have. So, I, I really do like Ben Shepard's fit with that team. And Ben Shepard can even close games if you need him to if he continues to grow defensively. I just think the only way. Shepard's going to continue to get better as if he gets more consistent reps. And we kind of heard Carlisle talk about Jairus Walker and his role and that kind of stuff and how he was kind of frustrated with going to the G League and how they kind of told him to like be the leader of the Mad Ants. And he kind of did that the last stint that he went down there. So I thought that was really cool to hear. But, you know, Shepard's an older guy. And I think Shepard kind of have a similar role to what Nimhart had last year on this team. Probably not as big, but being that rookie that can come in right away and impact on both sides of the basketball. Yeah, sorry if you picked up my dogs. They're barking. They just no, got I, brought I in. I can't hear anything, man. All this background okay. noise you're talking about, it's not coming through the mic. 
All right, that's good. I'm glad. First time using the mic, so I'm glad to go. know that it's actually doing its job. It is. It's, it sounds um, great. But yeah, I think in the aspect of what you're talking about, Ben Shepard potentially closing games, I think you see that if it's that small ball five mm-hmm. and you put Pascal at the center position and you let Miles on the bench. And so, I don't know, you have to look at teams that could fit against. Could that fit against uh, Boston? I mean, they don't really have a true big. So you could put you could put Siakam at the five and have him defend Porzingis. And then unless they want to go with their double bigs with Horford and Porzingis, but I think in terms of when you start looking down the line at some playoff opponents that could be for the Indiana Pacers, Boston is a team that could fit the small ball five for Indiana and and potentially the New York Knicks, depending on the health of Julius Randle when the playoffs come around because he's dealing with uh, that shoulder injury. But it sounds like he's going to be back here in the next couple weeks. So I do like the aspect of that small ball five, and I think Carlisle does too, but – at the same time, I think I think Siakam and Turner work really, really well together, and they're starting to develop that chemistry. But I don't know if you want to take them both off the floor because just because of the prowess of Turner being able to defend the paint and mm. uh, defend the basket. Yeah, it's hard to pull a shot blocker off the court when he's that impactful. But one place you could see Shepard substitute in for, and that could be an offense-defense type of thing, is if he maybe goes in for Halliburton with the game in the balance on defense, right? And that's not a knock on Halliburton. It's just like, okay, you know, there's 10 seconds left in the game. Pacers are up by two. Does it make more sense to play Ben Shepard, who's a better defender, than to maybe play Tyrese Halliburton in that 10-second thing where a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown can just get him in pick and roll and just, you know, get him really caught in a situation where it's like, oh, crap, we're, we're you know, got Ty on an island by himself guarding these two, these two wings now. I'm not saying Ben Shepard's going to stop either of those guys either, but I think he gives you a much better chance, gives you a little bit more size and physicality. So, yeah, there there are definitely ways you can look at how they could go about doing this. And I think now that Bruce Brown is gone, like Andrew Nimhard's defense is way more important to this team. But now I think that's where Ben Shepard can kind of fill in for what Nimhard was supposed to be this year, and that's kind of that other defender uh, with Brown. And so it, they're kind of like trying to figure things out, and obviously you would love to see Matherin just really grow on that defensive side of the ball. But to me, I think that at this point, in terms of a consistency level, it might be a bit of a hot tick, but I think I think you can say Shepard's more consistent defensively than Matherin is, and somebody mm-hmm. might trust more late in games. Yeah, I, I think that's an I think that's an accurate statement. And plus I think it's the aspects of which are where they're at. You know, just I know Matherin's only in his second year, but you look at Shepard, he's trying to find his way to get on the floor and prove that he's an NBA player because, I mean, he's out of Belmont and not a lot of players make it out into the league out of Belmont. And so you constantly have that chip on your shoulder like every single night. You've got to go in there and you got to do the dirty work. you got to dive on the floor. you got to defend. Uh, like, you just have to be a tenacious defender. And I think that's what his mindset is every single night. And he's always got a smile and a joy on his face whenever he gets asked and post-game media availability about basketball at all. And he's just a guy that just seems proud to be playing basketball, seems proud, happy to be in the NBA. And you see it with his play as well because he's always passionate when he's out there on the floor. Yeah, I mean, he's a funny guy. Like, he could lose by one point. He'd still be smiling so big. He just can't help himself. Like, he's constantly smiling. Like, I feel like he'd be the hardest person to date if I was a girl just because I would never know how he feels. He'd just be smiling the whole time. Like, are you mad at me? Like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> are you in love with him? Yeah. yeah. Like he's just got that big old grin on. And I think he's even mature. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I, I was just laughing because like he's, he's even maturing from the mustache to the goatee now. So he's got it. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's coming full around there, but um, I'll go on to my second question here as we continue doing our, our series here of questions. And so my next one is how long will it take for Pascal Siakam and Tyrese Halliburton to get their chemistry down? And, you know, kind of like a piggyback question with that is like how deadly can they be as a one-two punch in the playoffs because they're still trying to figure each other out and they play different ways right and I think that the Pacers have kind of kind of shifted how they play a little bit since they brought in Siakam in and Siakam like that mid-range jumper that he takes it seems like it's cash money I think he's shooting like a super high percentage on those shots so it's it's one thing we haven't really seen Carlisle teams do is have more of a mid-range presence, but that is exactly kind of what Pascal Siakam does best. And so I feel like those two are still trying to figure each other out. The spacing is not nearly the same that it was back in October, November. So I'm I'm kind of curious, like 
Buddy's out, Bruce is out, and now you've got Nimhard and Siakam in the starting five. Like, it's going to change a little bit in terms of how they play uh, stylistically, but I, I think that they'll figure things out. I just want to see more of a of a pick and roll with Pascal and Tyrese, and I wouldn't even be uh, upset if they ran some inverted pick and roll where Pascal kind of starts out as the initiator with the ball, and they try to get some switches there. So I, I think it could be a very dynamic duo. I just want to see them with Ty fully healthy and and getting 30 more games under their belt to play together. Totally agree with you on everything you just said, because that was one of the things that I expected to see, like right out of the gate was Tyrese and Pascal two man game. You either way, like you just talked about there. Um, I think so far, I mean, sample size is incredibly limited, but right now he's shooting 41% from three. So you can see the effect that Halliburton's had in their limited action together. It's a result in him being able you know, to have more open three-point opportunities just because it's there because defenses have to crash down when Tyrese gets into the paint, and next thing you know, he's got a wide-open three. And I think the other aspect of it, too, especially when you get later in the season and every game becomes much more critical to win and much later in the games as it becomes a possession-by-possession game and you get into the playoffs, you see Siakam on the block and you let him go out and – make the decision you let him pass it out or you see him on the block and he goes up and scores or whatever the case may be because I think that's another element of his game that doesn't receive a lot of respect and a lot of admiration um, and appreciation as is him as a passer because I think he's a very 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 good passer he's had a couple games so far this season where he's had a high assist total but either zero or one turnovers and that Mm. you can't that's something you cannot ask enough out of your starting four or your starting three, depending on the night and the the, uh, the availability of Aaron Neesmith going forward with the, the ankle slash shin injury. But yeah, I mean, those two can be really, really good together, really dynamic. And I think they're a little bit more further along in terms of their chemistry than I think a lot of people realize, because I have this growing belief that you and I could go out with Tyrese Halliburton and we can play a three-man pickup game and we can have synergy right away just because that's how – that's the type of player he is. Anybody can play with him. Mm. No, I agree with that. And I think it's basketball. Like all these sets are very similar to what they've run before. It's not like it's some new set. It's just new language and what you call things. And I think Halliburton's even said that, like, you know what they called it in Toronto. We don't call that here in Indiana. So like Pascal's trying to remember like, okay, this means this, that means that and whatever. And and I think that, you know, Tyrese, I think talked about it on the Woj pod, like how he has so much, uh, or maybe it was on the JJ Reddick podcast where he's talking about how much of a say he has and what they're doing offensively. Like he has complete and total control. So he knows like, Hey, if Pascal needs to get the ball in the situation or he's got a mismatch, like let's set up a play to get him the ball more. Let's get him involved because he hasn't touched the ball in a little bit. And Tyrese has kind of been actively like running sets for maybe, you know, miles Turner in the pick and pop or something like that. So like, I think that's one thing you're going to see from Ty is just continuing to find the right spots for Pascal where he can be a little bit more consistent throughout the game because I feel like we've seen little spurts from, from Siakam. I think it was like against the Nuggets, like his first game here uh, as a pacer in Indiana, like he had like the first 12 points and then finished the game with like 18 or 20 and barely touched the ball again. And we've seen that kind of happen a couple of different times. Like he killed Charlotte uh, on one Sunday. And then the next time they played him, like he got 11 shots, but he was like fourth in attempts and he's mm-hmm. like eight for 11. So I think that's one way I think Halliburton can really develop that chemistry too, is just like, trying to give him the ball a little bit more in the spots that he likes it in, especially when he hasn't touched it in a while, because I feel like he's so good offensively, like defensively, Caitlin Cooper pointed out some great stuff where he's, you know, a little slow to react, maybe gets caught up and picks a little bit more. Uh, that is Siakam that we're talking about here. So offensively, like this is where he can be a, a major weapon. And I think they need to utilize it just a little bit more. Yeah. I think another game that sticks out to me when talk about Siakam and just like sometimes how he, disappears within the game um the phoenix game they're without halliburton and you don't run one offensive set or you don't try to get him the ball once on the block in the final i think it was like eight minutes the only shot attempt that he had was on a putback attempt and he didn't make it and then they overturned the foul call on devin bookery so he didn't get to go to the line but in, in those type of situations i think late game and those one possession two possession games I think he sometimes could be the guy that they turn to just because of the experience he has 
in Toronto of making it to the finals and having and knowing how to get open and knowing when when there's a good shot or when there's somebody open. But I'm I'm incredibly excited to see where those two get by the end of the season and certainly when the postseason starts because most of the time when you talk about leaning up to the start of the season and you get into the first I don't know, month of the year, it's like, okay, how long does it take for a team to really start coming together and gelling? Usually it's about 20, 25 games. That's the mm-hmm. criteria that you reach. So I don't even think they're at that halfway point yet between those two just because of the availability. Tyree's being compromised with the hamstring and the back injury. So it certainly is going to be a fun ride the next couple months. I'm excited to see what they look like, especially as they continue to grow and Hopefully, Miles can continue to shoot the ball well from the outside because I think that just opens up what they can do offensively so much more uh, when, when Turner can do that. But uh, let's go ahead and move on to your last question here, Eddie. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this one. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Okay, so I asked the question about Ben Shepard being more involved in the rotation routinely. So this one kind of goes against that a little bit. Does the rotation tighten up a little bit? So in that regard, you see it all the time in the playoffs. Teams play six, seven, maybe eight guys. And if they go eight, those guys are playing off the bench like 10, 12 minutes, and then the starters are – doing a lot of the heavy lifting. So does that start to come to fruition with the Pacers this final two and a half months or so? Because the problem that you're going to run into right now is Aaron Neesmith is banged up. Benedict Matherin is banged up. Tyrese Halliburton is banged up. Jalen Smith is banged up. And Miles Turner has been banged up in spurts this season, but he's been pretty healthy for the majority of it. So, if, do you risk all of that and by tightening up the rotation like you would in the playoffs right now to try to improve your seating and ride that starting five and Benedict Matherin, depending on how his night is going a little bit more? So that's just something that's incredibly fascinating to think about because a lot of these teams coming out of the All-Star break, they start implementing those kind of lineups just to get ready for the postseason. 
Yeah, it's a good question. It's a good way to look at it too, because they are trying to position themselves, you know, in terms of standing wise too. So that, that does make it interesting. I would kind of be shocked based on how the Pacers play that they would really shorten the rotation up right now, maybe as they get closer to the end of March and they're like, okay, if we win the next three games, you know, we got a pretty good chance of distancing ourselves from the seven, eight seed, that kind of thing. So maybe that's when they kind of crack the rotation a little bit more, but, or excuse me, uh, tighten up the rotation a little bit more, but I, I, I think you'll maybe see it in the playoffs, but I feel like it probably won't happen just because even at points this year, Carlisle has gone to play 11 players at, at some points, just like, when McConnell wasn't originally in the, in the 10 man rotation and all of a sudden they throw him in there as like the 11th man, just trying to get some spark out of the team. I mean, it's going to be interesting. I just think all the injuries piling up as they have, Carlisle's not going to want to wear his guys out before the playoffs, because the last thing you want to have is a Tom Thibodeau situation where you got OG and Anobi playing like 43 minutes a game, precious Achua playing 44, 45 minutes a game with all the injuries they have. And then all of a sudden now you see OG has elbow surgery and is out for like a month. And it's like, okay, would this have happened if he was playing maybe 32 minutes a game, like a more normal type of time in the game? And, you know, I I think you got to find that right balance, but also like, I think they kind of need the strength of their bench to to be able to help out too. So that's, that's the one thing I look at. But if we're going to shorten the rotation up, who's getting left out? That's a big question. I think the first person you would go to is probably Obi Toppin. Yeah. Um, that's just kind of the easy player to you know pick at just because there's nights where he's incredibly involved offensively and he's engaged and moving around and not pouting or anything or wanting to lob at the rim all the time and then there's times where he's not engaged and he's a liability on the defensive end of the floor I think he's been better this year in, in comparison to his previous years with New York on the defensive end but I think that's the first player you would look at um, ironically, I would probably also look at TJ McConnell a little bit because he is he is feast or famine. You never know what night what version of TJ you're gonna get each night right now. It's some nights he's spectacular, and there's some nights where it's like, All right, TJ, I know you're the, the point guard on the second unit, but you are not the scoring guard on the second unit. We need yes. that to be Benedict Mather. We don't need you running and circling around in the paint and missing six eight six feet eight foot jump shots like those aren't good possessions especially if you're taking them six eight seconds into the shot clock and you're not letting you're not moving the ball around you're not letting everyone touch it and creating um the chaotic nature of their offense that they like to create so those are kind of like the two first players i would look at and you would start to see a little bit more andrew nimhard and seeing an early substitution with nimhard and then bringing in matherin and that way nimhard's more of the point guard with the second unit um, if you went that rotation. So that's just kind of the first two players I would think about in terms of, you know, minimizing minutes for lack of a better phrase. And I'm assuming you're not having Doug McDermott in this rotation either, right? Probably not, no. Yeah, so we're talking more of like a nine-man rotation with Smith, Toppin, Matherin, McConnell. Those are probably your first two guys out, which I think makes the most sense considering Carlisle did say Jalen Smith was one of their top seven guys. Mm-hmm. I think it was after the Raptors game. So uh talked about how you didn't have – I don't – I don't think Turner played in the Raptors game, right? Did he not play in that game or did he? That was the game where Turner and Smith or Turner played. Um, Smith started and then he left at halftime with the, the, the Raptors. No, Jalen Smith didn't no. play the last three games. I'm trying to That's think. Right. Of, um, yeah, because that was a couple of games ago. I think that was like. Yeah, Turner didn't play against Toronto because they had Isaiah Jackson starting. That's what I thought. Yeah, so there was another starting lineup for Pascal Siakam, like his seventh out of like the eleven games he's been here, whatever it is. So, just thought yeah. that was interesting. Um, but but no, you're right, and I think Nimhard, like I think McConnell, like with him, it's really going to come down to how does he match up in a playoff series too, like because. I think he knows his role for the most part. And without Matherin, like they actually need him to be a scoring guard. Like if, if Matherin's out there, like, yeah, he needs to like be selective with the shots, but there is times where he does get a little bit trigger happy trying to create stuff. But like, when you look out there, like outside of Matherin, like who else is really creating for that offense on the second unit? Uh-huh. And that's the problem. And that's why like people have said, well, Matherin should be starting and Nimhard should come off the bench. It's like, who's going to score off the bench. If Nimhard's the guy off the bench instead of Matherin, like you need that balance of scoring there. So I don't have a problem with, with Nimhard starting for that specific reason, but you know, Matherin is such a key to this team and this, this rotation shortening, like it's, it's an interesting dynamic because I agree with you. Obi Toppin feels like the first guy out. I feel like 
there's going to be times when Carlisle would rather have Aaron Eastman at the four and trust his defensive-minded style of play with his shooting ability compared to Obi Toppin. But, like, there's been games when Obi Toppin has really impressed this year. Like, he's had some really big games. Like, I always go back to the game he had against Philadelphia in the in-season tournament or on the road against uh, Miami in those back-to-back games they had. Tyrese didn't play in the second one, but Bruce Brown led the team in scoring, and it was like a huge upset victory over them. And it was like Obi Toppin did a great job on Jimmy Butler. So it's like he can really, like, he can bring it when he wants to. He's just not very consistent with it. And so uh, they've emphasized rebounding more with him as well instead of leaking out as much, and that does kind of take away from what he does. And I think with them playing a little bit slower, like they're still not – uh, playing, I don't think they're playing as fast as they once were. They still might be first in the league, but I probably said over the last like five ish games, they're probably not that anymore. So we'll have to see what happens. But uh, to me, it's just like shortening the rotation too early in the season could be a little problematic in terms of just uh, overexerting your guys too much in the regular season. But they're in a really tough spot. And that kind of leads me to my next question. Like, are they going to avoid the play-in? I think that's a huge question because, you know, Miami and Orlando are, you know, nipping at their heels right now, just ready to kind of catapult them. So, like, winning against Toronto was huge for the Pacers to kind of stay in six heading into the uh, all-star break because had they lost, I think they would have been an eight. So uh, both Miami and Orlando, I believe, won on that following that last Wednesday night. So, yeah, just uh, just the Pacers have to be very careful here because – they can't afford, in my opinion, to fall into a playing game where it's like a winner go home situation, especially since they gave up their pick this year for Pascal Siakam. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And you look at you look at the Miami Heat, you're like, all right, they're 30 and 25. They're, you know, half a game behind the Pacers in the standings. And it always seems like at this point of the season, right after the all-star break, they ramp it up. Jimmy Butler starts playing like he does in the playoffs. And it's just like, okay, this is the Miami Heat team we've seen make it to the NBA Finals, make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, make runs in the postseason and be a hard team to defeat. But it'll be interesting to see how it all comes to fold in the next couple of uh, weeks and months with them specifically. And then you look at Orlando, they've kind of reeled a little bit. They had that one hot stretch right after they beat the Pacers and then they went cold. Now they're kind of a little bit of a 500 team and you really never know what you're going to get with Chicago and Atlanta. And then further down, you look at Brooklyn. It's like they just fired Jacques Vaughn um, yesterday um, on President's Day. So it's just like, okay. And then you look at Philly. How's Philly going to look coming out of the All-Star break? How's Buddy Heald, you know, meshing with the 76ers? How do they continue to look without Joel Embiid? When does Joel Embiid come back? How do they look when Joel Embiid comes back? So it's like, you look at all these teams that are stacking up right in front of the Pacers in the standings. New York Knicks, they were hot. They've they've started to reel a little bit because they keep getting injured. Players that keep getting hurt, but man, it's, uh, it is certainly all jumbled up right there for that four, five, six, seven, eight spot in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I would be kind of shocked if Chicago or Atlanta went on a hot streak and got into the mix there for six and seven and eight. But, you know, I, I if I was a betting man, I would bet Indiana and Miami finish above Philly and Orlando for seven, eight, just because of how difficult it's going to be for the Orlando Magic, just with the lack of experience that they have in terms of like being in this moment. Like not a lot of players on that team besides Joe Ingles have really experienced that. And then you also got to look at Miami. Like they're a team that you are, you talked about it. Like they're so talented. Uh, they've got a great coach. They've added some nice pieces. DeLon Wright just signed a, on the buyout market. And I know Rozier was someone they just traded for who got hurt. So DeLon Wright could be a nice fit for them. But Philadelphia without him be like, yeah, they've had some okay wins since they traded for Buddy Hill. But like they're going to be an up and down team and their schedule. It is not easy coming out of the break. They've got Cleveland, Milwaukee, and Boston coming out of the break and then you know they play like the hornets who have been playing better mavericks on the road the nets are in a new spot Grizz, like they got some easy games they gotta play the knicks twice again the bucks again so like they've the heat again suns lakers clippers kings clippers again like all this cavaliers like that's gonna be a huge stretch for the 76ers and i feel like that's one of those teams that i really do think will fall in the standings a little bit but for me if i'm looking at the pacers and where they're at I just don't know if it's really like you can't really control it because you're a team trying to make the playoffs, but 
if they can have any say in where they finish at, they got to avoid the 4-5. I think getting six is better than 4-5 to completely avoid Boston until you have to meet them in the Eastern Conference Finals because I think that's the toughest matchup for the Pacers. Yeah, I'd agree because you look at Tatum, you look at Brown, you look at Derek White, those three guys right there present a challenge because of their length. And I think that especially on the defensive end, and then you factor in Drew Holiday, who is just an absolute animal. It's unfair. What they have put together is unfair. Yes, it's it's just unreal. Like when it comes playoff time, Drew Holiday just turns into this guy that I mean he's I mean, he's like one of the best defenders in NBA history when you look at him in the playoffs. Like yeah. you can't score on him, you don't get by him, and he's just incredibly smart and savvy uh, when it comes to you know playoff time and being able to take care of the basketball. But yeah, I agree with you. They are definitely the hardest draw. You certainly, if you're the Pacers, you want to be that sixty like you just mentioned. Uh, because I think Cleveland is a very, very, very beatable team. I know they have a lot of talent and they're hot right now, but I think they're so reliant offensively on Jarrett Allen to have success and be impactful that has led to this resurgence for them or this hot streak. And if he starts to you know perform like he did the last couple seasons in Cleveland, then those wins will start becoming a lot less frequent. And Evan Mobley just came back from injury, and that's another aspect to it too. Like they did a lot of that winning without Evan Mobley, so it's like, it's like, okay, are they a better team without Evan, or are they better team with him? So, yeah, it's a lot of it's very fascinating to see the different matchups that the Pacers could have, and not even in the first round, but if they made it out of the first round in the second round. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, I, I kind of want to see them play Milwaukee. I'm not gonna lie; like I've been talking about that on this podcast yeah. a little bit. Um, even, even though I will probably be out of my mind annoyed with Twitter, Milwaukee fans, and just the entire state of Milwaukee or the whole, the state of Wisconsin, excuse me, the city of Milwaukee. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be annoying, but I think that the rivalry, like it's from the beginning of the season to the all-star game with Dame and Giannis and Tyrese and all, and Doc Rivers even coach it and stuff like that. Like, it just seems like this, these two teams are connected all the time and i don't know how they're going to avoid each other in the playoffs but it feels like they're going to meet each other the best case scenario would be for milwaukee to play miami again and get beat in the first round that'd be hilarious but um i I would just love to see a pacers bucks playoff series see what it would bring out of this team i think that both teams would be pretty juiced up for it and i think we would get some of the best basketball we've seen in the first round in a while um i felt like that kings warriors series last year was really good and it could be kind of similar to that uh, in mm-hmm. terms of just like the rivalry back and forth so i would be very intrigued by that but yeah it's uh it's going to be interesting the Cavs, like you said that mobley allen duo seems kind of not perfect because they're both two non-shooting bigs and you can try to make mobley a shooter but he just hasn't really proven that yet in the league so uh, i love evan mobley i i really was high on him coming out of the draft but don't know if Jared Allen is the right pair for him. I think having more of like a Turner type of center paired with Mm -hmm. him would make more sense. Just someone that can actually spread the floor. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to keep an eye on Cleveland just because they're playing so well. And look, they could jump to the two spot and stay there and they could end up putting Milwaukee back at three. I mean, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities. And like you said, New York, they're kind of teetering back and forth with what they're supposed to be. So once they get healthy though, they're going to be tough. I, I, I wouldn't mind playing New York. I don't think I'd be afraid of them from a Pacers standpoint, but it would be a dogfight for sure. I mean, obviously better talent is on the Bucks overall with Giannis being there, but they're a pretty deep team in New York. I just, for me, the Pacers just have to do all they can to avoid the plan and just figure it out, whoever they got in the first round of a playoff series, because I think as long as they can avoid, you know, Boston uh, in the first round, that's a win for me. Yeah, and when you look at the Pacers' schedule, the stretch that to me is going to make or break where they're at seating-wise is you look at toward like the back half of March. Yeah, You've got the Cavaliers, and you've got the Pistons, and then it's the Warriors, Lakers, Clippers, Bulls, Lakers. All of those teams vying for playoff positioning, and you have to go on the road against the Warriors, the Lakers, and the Clippers, uh, and Chicago. And then you come right back and have the Lakers at your place. That's going to be the make-or-break time in terms of the seeding for the Pacers. And really, if you even look before that Cleveland game that I just mentioned, you've got Brooklyn, who's a team you should beat. 
You have Chicago at home. You have Oklahoma City. You've got Magic. You got the Timberwolves. You got the Mavericks. So like March is a relatively tough month for them, it's and tough. it's a very important month. Yeah, I know because if you looked at their schedule, like towards the beginning of February, I think after like the first game, I forget who they played. Like the I think it was the Knicks. After that game against the Knicks, they were like twenty seventh with you know toughest remaining schedule on uh, Tankathon. I looked yesterday and it was nineteenth. So. They're right there in the middle of the pack. They've got some cupcake games, but they've also got some tough ones. And we've seen this team perform better against the upper echelon teams of the NBA. So maybe that's just kind of like the the type of talent they need to face heading into the playoffs to kind of get them playoff ready. And they're going to probably take some lumps on the chin, take some losses there that maybe you don't want to see them take. But I think how they respond to that, they've done a good job all year of responding to tough losses. Like they lose kind of in a tough situation where Tyrese can't finish a game in New York and then they come back. Now, granted, obviously more injuries to the to the to the Knicks the second time they played them, but still, like, came in there and just played with a much different force and really kind of controlled that game from uh, start to finish in, in terms of like getting that lead. I think maybe the first quarter the Knicks were up, but like after the first quarter, the Pacers kind of dominated the rest of that game. So I, I agree with you. There's a that stretch that was tough. They have a couple road trips there. They have that short one in Texas, and then they have that one in. Uh, on the West Coast, the the player or the teams they didn't face earlier on their West Coast road trip. So those are always difficult. And all you got to do is just hope that everyone is healthy because I do think like Aaron Neesmith not being healthy. And if this is like a lingering injury too, like that's a big loss because part of the reason you felt like you could trade Buddy Hill a little bit was because Aaron Neesmith shot the ball so well this year. If he's not in there, like who's playing in that spot at the three? Are they going to start Matherin? Or would they maybe... Go to Ben Shepard. I think they might even go Ben Shepard over Matherin just to keep Matherin on the bench for the scoring. So it could be a good opportunity for for Shep, but at that point, come on. Shep is not the same player as Aaron Neesmith. No. No. So No. But that that's just where I'm at. So I, I think this can kind of wrap it up. Is there anything else that you're – maybe we didn't bring up that you're looking forward to for the rest of the season? I think just like the aggressiveness as an offensive player from Andrew Nimhard now that he's starting to get fully healthy. We've seen flashes of it, of him being aggressive and getting to the basket and getting in the mid-range with a floater. He's starting to shoot the three a little bit better, too. I know he didn't start the season out shooting it well, but, I mean, it's hard to do that when you're recovering from a kidney stone. So yeah. you, you miss out much time, and next thing you know, you're ramping back up so quick, and you, it's hard for you to get reacclimated. So I really hope that this week off for him, really helps him get fully healthy and that he's the best version of himself for this final stretch of the season. Because I think I know he doesn't get a ton of shots up offensively, but if you look at his efficiency, his efficiency has improved from last season as a shooter, his field goal percentage is up three point percentage is up um, and his free throw percentage, all three are up. It's just a matter of him being more aggressive, being more assertive and being more confident um, as a shooter, because if they can get him going a little bit to be more, uh, consistent offensively, it's just going to alleviate so much pressure off Tyrese. That way he doesn't have to be so ball dominant all the time. You can play him off a little bit more because you saw in the All-Star game, and granted, zero defense being played, but Tyrese as a catch-and-shoot three-point guy is it's pretty much just going in every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that that's true. And and Nimhart, I think, is such a nice fit to Ty- next to Tyrese as that secondary ball handler and, and really – takes away some of that defensive pressure too for Tyrese. You can hide Tyrese really on the worst, you know, outside perimeter player on the opposing team because you do have Neesmith and Nimhart and Siakam out there. So, you know, I, I agree with you there. Like it's just Nimhart is a huge piece moving forward and he's going to have to shoot the ball better. That's, that's just the bottom line because if he doesn't spread the floor at all and it really shrinks the floor in the playoffs, like, he might lose some playing time at that spot. I don't know how they're going to balance it out, but it's just like if you can't really score from outside, you know, you're going to have to really impact the game in other ways to make yourself feel like you're not vulnerable of playing time. We, we saw how, like, uh, I'm not saying he's nearly this type of shooter, but, like, back when OKC had Roberson, right, Roberson. Oh, uh, gosh. He couldn't – they would just leave him open right in the corner, right? Like, they wouldn't even guard him. They are playing five on four defensively, like, just, okay – if Andre Roberson hits a shot on us, whatever, you know? So that's where I'm just like, okay, he he's not that bad, but like you don't want to get to that point where they don't even respect your shot that they're just shrinking the floor even more. So I agree. He's got to be a better shooter. Um, I think everybody's going to take a step up shooting wise. Just 
they're just going to have to continue. And, you know, hopefully this Jalen Smith shooting doesn't just fall off after he comes back because I feel like his shooting is almost pivotal for this team's mm-hmm. success. And I know that sounds crazy, but, like, just I, I feel like the fact that he's played so well with Siakam in the minutes they played together um, and he can really just kind of be a nice substitute for Miles Turner or if he gets in foul trouble or if he just needs to come out. Like, they're not the same player, but they do a lot of the same things. Yeah, I agree with you. And like we were talking about earlier with, you know, Matherin and tanking jump shots or mid-range shots, I think the lack or not having Jalen Smith out there has hurt him in that category a little bit because, you know, Isaiah Jackson's not shooting a three-pointer. No. And if he is, it's probably not going to go in because that's just not his cup of tea. So mm. I think if you get Jalen Smith back out there, it'll open up the lane a little bit more for uh, Matherin to get to the hoop. Yeah, I totally agree. So that was a lot of fun, Eddie. Um, I appreciate you coming on and giving me your thoughts on what the Pacers could look like moving forward and some of the questions we had about this team. I thought they were all relevant. Uh, Pacer fans, listen to this show. If you have any questions that you have for this team that maybe we didn't touch, please let us know in the comment section below on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you uh, interact with us at. We'd love to hear from you and just say, like, you know, well, what about this situation like i'm sure some of you are asking like does jairus crack the rotation like that's a big question well uh we'll see what happens i mean <laughs> uh it's been a, a large game sample size of him not really getting that opportunity so i would just say keep leaning on that but injuries happen you never know what uh what could be in store for for the young rook but eddie go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you at on social media and plug anything you'd like to plug uh you can find me at eddie garrison underscore on twitter that's e-d-d-i-e uh, g-a-r-r-i-s-o-n with an underscore all right are you pretty interactive with people on social media um if they get in my mentions and it's a good tweet then yes so you gotta be worth eddie's time basically right Uh, with that being said everybody thanks so much for following us here on the show we'll be back tomorrow with Chad Buchanan. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't want to miss that. Pacers GM going to come on setting the pace, and we have lots of questions for him, so I hope you guys tune in for that as we get things kicked off for the uh, return of the season for the Pacers. So we will talk to you all tomorrow with Chad Buchanan. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.